I'm your host, Kurt Sandig, and welcome to Paranormal Almanac. That's right, I'm your host Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's take a look at one of my most wanted-to-visit locations on the planet. A place on the other side of the globe, from me anyway, a place filled with everything trying to kill you, and one of the coolest accents there is. That's right, I'm talking about you, Australia, but first, shout-outs to the cool people. Shoutouts to Aaron, Amber, Amy, Angie, Autumn, Seth, Carolyn, Carolyn, Chuck, Dan, Daniel, David, Dill, Edgar, Aaron, Fabian, Harley, Heidi, J. Mark, Jade, Jeff, Jenny, Jim, Joe, Joshua, Juliana, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, Lash, Lash, sorry, Laura, Laura Rutho, Lauren, <clears throat> Lauren, Lawrence, Lionel, Maggie, hi Maggie, Michaela, Manning, Martin, Matt, Matt, Megan, Melissa, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Richard, Rosa, Sarah, Shelly, Suzanne, Sarah, Tosh, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Travis, Troy, Veronica, and Vincente. Thank you so much to all the new members, all the old members, all of the all the members. You guys are amazing. I can't thank you enough. The people that are listening to this episode can't thank you enough because the only reason I'm doing this episode is, well... For you guys. I was going to make this one a patron exclusive one, but I've got so many Australian fans now that I figured this is for everybody and I'll figure out something else for another patron exclusive episode. I've got some more ideas in mind. I've got an idea that's just about ready that I'm hoping to fine tune to write whatever you want to call it this, e this weekend when I travel. I'm going to be traveling this weekend uh, for family. So my hope is, while I'm traveling, while I'm on the plane, I can actually be writing out this episode, fine-tuning it, whittling it down to something that's perfect for you patrons. Okay, up next we have Paranormal News. First up in paranormal news, scientists find genetic mutation that makes women feel no pain. Now this one reminded me a lot of the Humans with Superpowers episode, so I wanted to add this one to a paranormal news because it just came out. This woman is 71-year-old Joe Cameron, and she might aid in a development of new pain relief treatments because she feels no pain. They said doctors have identified a new mutation in a woman who is barely able to feel pain or stress after a surgeon who was baffled by her recovery from an operation referred to her for genetic testing. Joe Cameron, again, 71, she was getting a double hip replacement. Is that right? I don't know. We'll get to that. Uh, she, anyhow, Joe Cameron, 71, has mutation in a previously unknown gene, which scientists believe must play a major role in pain signaling, mood, and memory. The discovery has boosted hopes of a new treatment for chronic pains which affect millions of people globally. So she's a former teacher. She lives in 
Inverness, whatever. Um, she experienced broken limbs, cuts and burns, childbirth, and numerous surgical operations with little or no need for pain relief. She sometimes leans on the AGA, A-G-A, and knows about it not from the pain, but the smell. The hell does that mean? She says, I'm vegan, so the smell is pretty obvious. There's no other burning flesh going on in the house. Okay. Um, she also never panics. She says that she's very um, upbeat, relentlessly upbeat. No stress, no depression. She scored a zero in stress and depression tests. She said, I knew I was happy-go-lucky, but it didn't dawn on me that I was different. I thought it was just me. I didn't know anything strange was going on until I was 65. That moment was when she had x-rays for a bad hip. Ah, it was hip replacement. Now and again, her hip would give away, blah, blah, blah. Let's skip ahead. Um, I've had not a twinge. They couldn't believe it. So she had her hip replaced. But while she was in the hospital, doctor noticed that her thumbs were deformed by osteoarthritis. They immediately booked her in for a double hand operation that they described as, quote, excruciating. That's coming from the surgeons. Now, again, she felt almost no pain after the operation. So all these doctors are like, that's pretty messed up. What else can we do to her? So they said that second mutation, they said a, one mutation was the uh, activity of a gene called FAAH. The second mutation was a missing chunk of DNA that mystified scientists at first. Further analysis showed that the lesion chopped the front off nearby, previously unknown gene that the doctors or the scientists then named FAAH out. So basically, not only is it a mutation of one gene, it's the loss of another gene. She talked about a time when she was eight, she broke her arm, she didn't tell anybody for days until the bone started resetting at a funny angle um, that she could eat Scott scotch bonnet chilies and feel only a pleasant glow in her mouth so this woman has no pain whatsoever very interesting i hope they can find something some man-made painkiller that they can make out of these genes or from her basically she seems like she's got enough in there all right up next in paranormal news it the the headline is real bullshit it says no explanation flying objects over kansas city leave locals suspecting aliens okay this one's very new. It came out today. Flying objects over Kansas City on Thursday night sparked the interest of locals and for a while had stumped people looking for answers. Weather balloons. It's going to be weather balloons. So they go on to say it's these weird globes, two strange orbs floating over Kansas City International Airport. Um, the Kansas City News said we have no explanation for it. Uh, the uh, weather department said we have no explanation for it. So everybody's freaking out going, oh, it's aliens, aliens, aliens. No. The explanation is this. Last night, DARPA launched three balloons from Cumberland, Maryland in a flight test for the adaptable lighter-than-air program. Over the, next over the next few days, Alta will demonstrate ability for wind-borne navigation of a lighter-than-air vehicle over extended ranges. That's it. Just weather balloons. Like I said, BS uh, headline here. No explanation. There's... I, it's a very short article. I did barely had to scroll at all before I found the explanation. So, okay, Kansas City, if you see something up in the sky, make sure it's not a weather balloon before you let me know, because chances are it's a weather balloon. Alrighty, but speaking of UFOs, more on those same UFOs. I told you it would keep happening. A group of U.S. senators, including the vice chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee, 
received a national classified, oh, not a national, received a classified briefing Wednesday about a series of unencountered USO, the US Navy UFO. All right, so you know that US Navy thing? Well, now a group of senators received a classified briefing about it. Now, the article doesn't give a lot more information. It's kind of a recap on what that article, what those UFOs in the US Navy saw. But the fact that more and more people are being briefed on this, more and more politicians are interested in this, it's keeping that story going. Again, I hope you don't get bored of it because anytime I see it, I'm going to report on it because this is the beginning or the middle or the end of disclosure. It's happening now. All righty, up next, astronomers. All right, this one isn't paranormal, but it's really freaking cool. Astronomers might have found Apollo 10's Snoopy module. On May 23rd, 1969, astronauts aboard Apollo 10 jettisoned the Snoopy lunar module. They nicknamed it Snoopy. It's a lunar module, and then they headed for Earth. That was the last time anyone had set eyes on Snoopy, but astronomers may have rediscovered it, which I think is amazing. So the, um, the command module was called Charlie Brown. The lunar module is called Snoopy, just in case you're wondering why they named it Snoopy. But they started searching for Snoopy in 2011, and they have a 98% certain that the object in question that they found is in fact Snoopy. Now, astronomers started the hunt in 2011 at the Falks North Telescope in Hawaii, the Fox South Telescope in Australia, and data from the Catalina Sky Survey located outside of Tucson, Arizona. They did a whole lot of math and a whole lot of science. I'm going to skip way ahead for you. And they think they found it. And there's a pretty damn good chance that it is what it is. Now, they've had a lot of false finds over the years. I won't say that they found it on the first try, but it looks like this one is it. So they're saying that its next closest approach won't come until July 10th, 2037, when it'll pass 4 million miles from Earth, about 16 times the distance from the Earth to the moon. Right now, it is 34.7 million miles from Earth. So it's a very tiny object. It's got a very big arc. Hopefully, by 2037, we'll know if that's exactly what it is. Even more cool, hopefully, we'll retrieve it so we can put it in a museum. It belongs in a museum. Alrighty, last but not least in paranormal news, is Bigfoot in Pennsylvania? Part of the state had several reported Sasquatch sightings. It goes on to say, if you're searching for Bigfoot in Pennsylvania, look to the western counties. All the top counties for reports of Bigfoot sightings are in the western half of the state. West Westmoreland County in southwestern Pennsylvania is the top Bigfoot county in Pennsylvania, with 95 reports in this database that they call the Squatchermetrics database. The group, which is named for the Squatch nickname for Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, has gathered 453 reports from across Pennsylvania, 6,498 across North America. That's a lot less than the 23,000 reports in the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization database, but that's a lot for one state. Come on. There you go. How you doing, pal? Hi, Stitch. Alrighty. So it says that Pennsylvania's number two county for Bigfoot sightings is Allegheny, with 46 reports immediately west of Westmoreland County. So if you want to look for Bigfoot, if you're in Pennsylvania, that's where you should be going, because apparently there's a lot of sightings of Bigfoot. Okay, that about does it for paranormal news, 
But before I get to the topic for tonight's episode, I've got an email that I had to share with you guys right away. I'm just going to read it and I'll let you guys decide, okay? It says, Kurt, I love the podcast. I can't tell you much and I won't give you my name, but I can tell you I worked on the very technology used by the Navy to capture these videos of UFOs you've been talking about a lot recently. I've seen videos that have never made public that I wish I could have copies of for proof, but that would get me in jail, but that would get me put in jail or worse. I can assure you that this isn't a hoax. They're very real and there is so much more proof coming. Does it mean they're from outer space? I don't know, but it is and has been happening, especially since the introduction of FLIR technology on military aircraft. No, I can't be a guest, and no, I won't respond to this email. I will delete this email account after I send this. How amazing is this? Do I think it's real? Actually, I do. Can I prove it? Sadly, no. But the person that wrote it is obviously listening to this podcast. So let me just say this. Thank you. Thank you so much for the email. Please, Always feel free to send me more information. And if you ever do decide you want to do a Skype or phone call episode, I can mask your voice. Please, just think about it. If you get videos, if you find more stuff that won't get you killed, please send it my way. Send it to me, paranormalalmanac at gmail.com, on Facebook, on Instagram, however you want to get it to me. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sending this email. And like I said, doors always open. If you ever want to talk, I'm here. Okay, so this plus a bunch of other messages and emails I've received really makes me want to do a full listener UFOs only episode. So to everybody else and him or her, I don't know, uh, to them. So if you have a true UFO story, that's the only thing I want. True UFO stories. I want to hear it. Send it to me on Facebook or via email at paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. Thank you to everybody that's been sending in all these phenomenal listener ghost stories, listener paranormal stories. I've got a ton of them. I could do a listener paranormal story episode coming up pretty quick. That'll, be, that'll blow your socks off. Now, I didn't want to do it immediately because... I like to have some spaces in between those, but my guess is right around episode 95, I'm going to do another listener paranormal story. So you guys got a little time to send me more, always want more. And that also leads me to episode 100. I'm nowhere near episode 100. Well, I guess I'm kind of near episode 100. I'm like 87 or whatever. But let me just say this. I want episode 100 to be the longest paranormal almanac episode ever. Ever. I want guests. I want interviews. I want stories. I want personal stories, personal emails, everything from the listeners, everybody. So send it to me. If I if you don't hear it on this next listener ghost story, it doesn't mean I didn't like it. It means I'm saving it for the 100th episode. My goal, and it's just that, it's just a goal, knock on whatever fake wood this is, I'm hoping to have a three-hour, 100th episode of Paranormal Almanac for you guys. And for the patrons, even more. But 
jumping ahead of myself. Got to focus on episode 87. I think that's what I'm on right now. Probably should find out. Let's see where we are right now. Is it 87? I think it is. Survey says... Yes, I am on 87. So, let's focus on episode 87 right now. Like I said, Australia has everything from koalas to NXS, one of my favorite bands, but it also has Paranormal Almanac. Paranormal, oh, but it also has Paranormal Almanac. It does, because you guys are listening to it there. But it also has paranormal stuff, and a lot of it. So, let me butcher some location names as I tell you some tales of haunted Australia. First up, it's called Fisher's Ghost. Now, this story starts on June 17th, 1826, when an English-born Australian farmer, so wouldn't he be an English person? But I guess he's living in Australia, so they call him English-born Australian. English-born Australian farmer from Campbelltown, it's probably not pronounced that way, it's probably Campbellton, named Frederick Fisher disappeared. All right, so this English-born Australian, he's a farmer named Frederick Fisher, boom, disappears. Now, people thought it was odd he would leave so quickly without telling anybody, but his neighbor, George Worrell, said, hey, Frederick, yeah, he went back to England. Not only that, but good old Frederick was nice enough to give George power of attorney over his property. Now, this part does seem to be true, though, because Fred had been arrested for a misdemeanor and was afraid he would lose his farm. But other sites say that he got power of attorney back when he got out of jail. So... I don't really know what part of that is true. It does seem like somehow George got power of attorney. Did he always have it? Did it get taken away? I don't know. All right, so Fred's gone. Months went by. And George said Fred had written him saying he wasn't coming back and gave George everything. Now, if any of you listen to true crime podcasts, your bullshit meter should be spiking right about now. There is no way... That some guy named Frederick is just going to up and go away to England, just straight up disappear, give his good old neighbor power of attorney, and then give it all to him by saying, yeah, I'm not coming back. Bullshit. Fred's gone. George has it all. Everything worked out, right? On to the next story. Nope, wait, nope. That's not right. Because about four months after Fred, quote, left for England, a guy named John Farley was seen freaking out in a nearby local hotel. He was going on and on about a ghost he had just saw on the local bridge. Not just any ghost, but the very familiar looking Fred as a ghost. Now this ghost looked directly at John, but just pointed to a paddock. Didn't say anything, didn't move, just kind of, well he moved his arm because he's pointing, but he just pointed to a paddock while he stood there on the bridge and then poof, disappeared. Thankfully, the local police were already suspicious of George and his Fred story, so this new ghost tale was all they needed to start an investigation. Now, you gotta remember, this was 1826, so they probably had some free time. Anyhow, the police searched the paddock, and uh, the paddock that the ghost pointed to, and surprise, they found the remains of Frederick Fisher, right where the ghost was pointing. So, good job, Fred's ghost. Now, of course, George Worrell was, was arrested for the murder. George Worrell was arrested. That's hard to say. George Worrell was arrested for the murder, which he confessed to and then hanged for. And as for Fred Fisher, well, he was buried in the cemetery at St. Peter's Angelican Church in Campbelltown. I'm sorry. I'm sure that's not how it's said, pronounced. Now, this seems to be the one and only time that Fred's ghost appeared 
So, sorry, Australian listeners, but I doubt Fred's ghost will point you towards something else. But maybe, I don't know, go there, see what happens. Okay, with that legend, we are off. Up next is the Devil's Pool. Now, from the name alone, it makes me think if I go swimming there, I'm gonna die. And it's not too wrong, because it's also known as Babinda Boulders, and it's in tropical North Queensland. But let's get to the legend. So the legend has it that a runaway bride named Ulana leapt to her death here when she was barred from marrying her one true love. All right, let's pause right here. How many times does this need to happen before people realize that never works? If you bar someone from their one true love, bad things happen. Nowadays, you probably get shot. Back then, Ulana leaps to her death in the devil's pool. Anyhow, so the Devil's Pool is cursed. Ulana is said to have lured 17 men and counting to their deaths here in the last 50 years alone. Now, some say this can be heard. He came for a visit and stayed forever. Who's the he? Who's saying it? Why are they saying it? I have no idea. A lot of these stories don't have a ton of um, explanation, shall we say. They just kind of go, bam, here's the story, moving on to the next one. Bam, here's the story. And let me pause right here to also say, hey, Australia, everything can't be the most famous or the most haunted this. I mean, every time I looked up like the most haunted sites of Australia, the most haunted house ever in Australia is this. The most haunted jail is this. The most haunted this is this. And they'd be like 19 houses and 20 jails. You got to pick and choose. You got to get one and say, that's the most haunted jail. This one, that's the most haunted hotel. They all can't be the most haunted thing. You're going to hear a lot more about that in a little bit. But up next, let's go over to the Melbourne Jail. How's that spelled? Well, Melbourne, don't worry about it. But how's jail spelled? G-A-O-L. Really, Australia? That's gal, not jail. I was going to say gal about 50 times, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to look this up. How the hell do you pronounce gale? Is it jail? Sure enough, it's jail. It's just jail. What do they mean? They mean jail. They mean prisons. They mean prisons. So Melbourne Jail, if you're going to look it up, spell it G-A-O-L, which was opened in 1845 and closed in 1924. Now, this prison held the worst of the worst in Australia. And I guess that's saying something. I'm not slamming Australia, but they were all, you know, thieves and crooks and criminals back in the day. So the worst and the worst of them. That's not me saying it. That's the internet saying it. Over 130 executions, mostly hangings, took place behind the walls of the Melbourne jail, within the walls of the Melbourne jail. And apparently, one local legend was one of those people that were hanged. Legendary Australian bush ranger Ned Kelly. Who? I had to look him up. I don't know Ned Kelly. He's kind of like Australia's Billy the Kid. And hopefully, you know who Billy the Kid is. He was an outlaw, a gang leader, convicted police murderer. And during all of this, had a lot of sympathizer fans, kind of like Bonnie and Clyde. Again, this might be only... Bonnie and Clyde might be only a reference that Americans get. I'm not sure. But Bonnie and, Cry Bonnie and Clyde were outlaws. They were bank robbers. They killed a lot of people. 
but they had a lot of fans too. So did Ned Kelly, apparently. He had a lot of sympathizer fans. One of the last Bush Rangers is what he was called. And by far, the most famous, at least as far as I can find out. Now, he was best known for wearing a suit of bulletproof armor during his final shootout with the police. And I gotta tell you, this story is from an article about that incident. In the dim light of dawn, Kelly dressed in his armor and armed with three handguns, rose out of the bush and attacked the police from the rear. Several members of the scattered police line returned fire, but to no effect as Kelly moved steadily through the morning mist towards the hotel. You can tell I didn't write it. That's way too flowery. I way, way nicer than what I would have wrote. Uh, his armor repelling bullets. The size and the shape of the armor made him appear inhuman to the police and his apparent invulnerability led to a shared state of quote, superstitious awe. Constable Arthur, the first policeman to encounter Kelly recalled, I'm not going to do an Australian accent. Sorry, it's not happening. I was completely astonished and could not understand what the object I was firing at was. One trooper exclaimed that it was a bunyip. A what? Hold, please. A bunyip? Well, I had to look that up. The bunyip is a large, a large mythical creature from an Australian Aboriginal mythology. Now, it's said to lurk in swamps, billabongs, creeks, riverbeds, and waterholes. What's a billabong? I don't know. I could have kept like researching, what does that name mean? What does this word mean? Who the hell's Ned Kelly? It would have taken me 10 times longer to write this article. Just know a billabong is probably like a swamp. Anyway, back to the story. So one of the cops thought he was a bunyip or a bunnyip. I don't know. And he could not be killed. A civilian volunteer cried out that he was the devil himself. Journalist Tom Carrington wrote, With the steam rising from the ground, it looked for all the world like the ghost of Hamlet's father with no head, only a very long, thick neck. It was the most extraordinary sight I ever saw or read of in my life. Which is it? Did you see it or did you read about it? And he goes on to say, And I felt fairly spellbound in wonder, and I could not stir or speak. Now the story goes, Kelly laughed as he shot and taunted the police and called out the remaining outlaws to recommend, and the police called out to the remaining, oh no, I'm sorry, and Kelly called out to the remaining outlaws to recommence firing, which they did. This quote-unquote strange contest continued for almost 10 minutes. Kelly, weakened by blood loss, managed to advance 50 or so yards. Where did he get the blood loss? He was shot, I believe, in the balls, basically, in the, the leg. Um... So he advanced 50 or so yards, at times stopping to change weapons or regain his composure after taking a bullet to the armor. The sensation being like, quote, like blows from a man's fist. After diving to the ground to avoid one of Kelly's shots, Sergeant Steele realized that the figure's legs were unprotected. He shot at them twice with his shotgun, tearing apart Kelly's hip and thigh. The outlaw staggered, then collapsed against a fallen tree and moaned, I'm done, I'm done. Steele went to disarm him, but Kelly fired once more, blowing the sergeant's hat off and burning the sides of his face. Several others assisted Steele in removing the armor and expressed shock upon learning that it was Kelly. He became quiet, shot in the left foot, left leg, right hand, left arm, twice in the groin. Although no bullet had penetrated his armor, he was carried to the railroad station placed in a guard's van, then taken to the station master's office where a doctor dressed his wounds. Alrighty. 
So that's the story of Bush Ranger Ned Kelly. Pretty freaking cool if you ask me. I mean, sucks because he killed a bunch of cops, but you know what I mean. So, okay, so Ned Kelly was taken to Melbourne jail. Eight days later, he was hanged. So Ned was buried on the grounds, as was the rest of the 130-plus prisoners that were executed. When the prison closed down, they hired a construction crew to build a new police headquarters. Now, they were told that the bodies were all dissolved in quicklime, so they wouldn't find anything down there. They said, hey, construction guys, you can dig it up. You're going to find a bunch of broken wood. That's all you're going to find. The bodies were in quicklime. They're all gone. Long gone. Well... Shocker, that wasn't the case at all, because the foreman started digging right where Kelly's body was buried. They had little initials on the wall, so they knew it was Ned Kelly's area. So right where his body was buried, they pulled up a coffin that dumped out bones. According to the foreman's grandson, crowds of people swarmed from all directions, grabbing whatever they could get a hold of. Lee jumped down, retrieving the skull before anyone else could run away with it. The whole scene was described as, quote, a free-for-all with souvenir bones making their ways to homes all across Melbourne. All right, Australia. I'm going to put one point on the scoreboard for that's some weird-ass shit. So, disgraced at what happened, the premier of Victoria ordered an investigation into this public horror. Now, he made a plea to the public, hey, guys, bring back anything you took. If, if you took a bone, just bring it back. No harm, no foul. So an undertaker began re putting returned remains in new coffins and boxes for reburial. Now, the new burial site was the ground of Pentridge Prison out in Coburg, and the remains of the prisoners, including Kelly, were transferred and put into two mass graves. Now, the skull had made its way back to the jail, but instead of being reburied, they kept it. So they believed it was Kelly's. It had become quite a talking point. It was its own attraction, if you will. So according to some sites, and I can't verify if this is true, but according to a lot of sites, it was kept on the detective's desk before being donated in 1931 to the newly established Australian Institute of Anatomy in Canberra. Sure, I said that wrong. I'm sorry. Where it came in and out of display for about 40 years. Then in the 1970s, the skull was given back to the National Trust of Old Melbourne's Jail was put in a glass cabinet on display for tourists because everybody still wanted to see it, even in the 70s. All right, let's flash forward to 1978. Ned's skull was stolen again and has never been recovered. All righty, now it's ghost time. So Melbourne Jail, they do ghost tours there regularly. People on the tours have said they've seen shadows, weird things show up in their pictures, they see orbs, moo. They hear voices, and some people even get touched while taking the tour. Now, I've read a ton of reviews about the tours. It is very high up on list my list of things to do if I ever get to go to Australia. It seems like this tour is intense. It is very cool to be in the depths of this really fucked up prison. So, again, if you're from Australia, if you're in Australia, if you're going to Australia, you might want to check out Melbourne Jail and... If you're listening to this and you have Ned's skull, just give it back. I'm sure it's a cool thing to have, but you got someone's head, someone's skull in your house. Just give it back. Maybe, you know, you become infamous for the person who returned Ned's skull. No questions asked. Alrighty, up next is the Gulawan house. 
the Goolawan, G-O-O-L-O-O-W-A-N, the Goolawan House in Queensland. Now, it's located on Denmark Hill in Ipswich, and it's a 155-year-old house that, in case you can't do that math on top of your head, it was built in 1864 for Benjamin Cribb, who is the founder of, real of retail company Cribb and Foot. I don't know what that is. Again, if I stopped every time I didn't know what something was, I never would have got through this. It's a retail company. It's called Crib and Foot. I'm sure they make amazing things. Hey, Crib and Foot, if you want to advertise on Paranormal Almanac, email me at paranormalalmanac.gmail.com. Okay, so they named the house Gulawan, which is Aboriginal. I don't know if that's the correct term. I really don't want to be not PC. I mean, I really don't. But I think, I mean, I don't know what you guys call them. I, I would assume Aboriginal is okay to say, so I'm just going to say it. If it's not, it is sheer ignorance on this American's fault. I apologize. Uh, so it's Arib Aboriginal for House on the Hill. Now, it's claimed that in 1889, a maid named Rose Dold discovered that she was pregnant by another staff member. Now, she tried in vain to hide the pregnancy, but that doesn't work. So once born, she dumped the baby down a well that was on the property. That seems bad. Alrighty, moving up till today, locals and passerbyers report that they hear the sounds of a baby crying from that very well. Others have also claimed to see a female figure wandering the property in an old-fashioned, old-timey maid's uniform, and that a quote-unquote eerie presence can be felt. I think that is a very generic term for it's spooky as shit. So they hear, um, oh, they see doors opening and closing on their own. Things would move and shake. People would hear footsteps go up and down the hall. Reports of people playing pool happen at all hours of the night. And another inc another incident took place in 2012 when a woman reportedly saw a ghost of a man standing staring right at her while she was having her meal there. Now, she described his appearance as a short, sturdy, with big shoulders. Somehow, the description of this ghost matched with the name a man named Sidney John Neves, who passed away in the hotel in the year 1934. That seems like a stretch to me, but, I mean, maybe they've got a photo of him up there. I don't know. So, if you want to visit or stay there, keep an ear out for a crying baby in a well, because that's not creepy at all. Alright, this next one's an odd one that I wanted a lot more of information about, but for some reason... Almost every site has the same info. It does seem to be legit. It doesn't seem to be made up, but they're all copying each other or they all have the exact same info and nothing more. They don't want to tell you anything more about it. Now, it's called the Quarantine Station or recently renamed the Q Station. It was built in Manly, Sydney sometime in the 1830s. Again, I can't really get a specific on that one. And it was built to protect from diseases found on migrant ships that were coming in more and more. So if the ships entering the, the harbors had a sick patient on board, they were required by law to hoist a yellow flag before disembarking all passengers. Guess what happened to those passengers? All of them were then scrubbed within an inch of their lives and stayed at the queue station for several weeks and even months in some cases. So even if you were fine on the ship and somebody else was sick, bad crap was about to happen to you. Now, from uh, this place has a ton of paranormal activity, and it's not too hard to figure out why. From what I can find on various websites, 26,000 people 
stayed in the quarantine station. Not only that, but around 600 people died at the station before its closure in the 1980s. You heard all of that right. And we'll say it again. 26,000 people stayed on the site in quarantine and around 600 people died at the station from scarlet fever, small small fox, smallpox, which is way worse than small foxes, smallpox, typhoid, cholera, Spanish influenza, other crazy illnesses, and the place closed in the 1980s. Okay, so what can be seen here? Well, EMF detectors go off constantly throughout the station on the ghost tours. There's weird smells, weird sounds, voices repeating the same things over and over again, such as, who are you? Why are you here? Apparently, there's a small, playful Jewish boy. Again, how do you know he's a small, playful Jewish boy? Is he wearing a yarmulke? Why are you thinking he's a Jewish boy ghost? There's also a strict hospital matron, a Chinese fisherman ghost. They have seen objects move on their own accord. Several nurses, as well as a spirit. They see several nurses, that is. As well as a spirit known as matron are said to patrol the hospital ward while a mortician in a top hat, nicknamed by staff as Mr. Slimy, that's a terrible nickname for a ghost. You're only going to piss off. You see a mortician ghost? Don't nickname him Mr. Slimy. It's just going to piss him off. Mr. Slimy has been spotted all over the grounds, just walking around. Apparently, you can take tours, but you can also stay here because the first class rooms from back in the day, well, they're still standing, and they're now the hotel rooms of the Q Station Hotel. Yes, please. I want to stay one night at the Q Station Hotel. And if I see Mr. Slimy, I'm not going to call him Mr. Slimy. I'm going to call him Sir, so he'll be nice to me. Anyhow, Q Station. I want to know way more about it. Unfortunately, I can't find a ton more about it. It's always the same stuff. Next up is the Destitute Asylum in Adelaide. Now, this one seems to live up to its name, even though it's now known as the Official Migration Museum. It was built in 1852, and the Destitute Asylum was a place of refuge for those who were unable who were unable to work due to age, due to illnesses, due to special needs. Some inmates were placed there by fee-paying relatives because they didn't want to handle them anymore. They didn't want to deal with them anymore. Orphans from the orphans were put there. The disabled were put there. The bedridden were put there. Alcoholics, destitute expectant mothers, immigrants with no relatives in the colony, the, quote, disturbed. I mean, it was an insane asylum. The destitute asylum. And like I said, it lives up to that destitute part. At its peak, it held up to 3,000 men and women in verified filthy conditions, I might add. But for most of its time... It held around 400 people in the worst of the worst condition. Now, the government, not knowing how to deal with these types of people, and that happened all over the world. It's not like Australia's the worst about this, not even by a long shot. We have a ton of those in America, these asylums. We just didn't know how to deal with mental illness. How did we deal with it? By not taking care of these people at all. But the government, not knowing how to deal with these types of people, gave them uniforms, and the ones that could were put to work looking after the ones that couldn't. So you had inmates looking after other inmates. Now, dying people were left with only food and water, no medical attention, no medical attention. 
and eventually the destitute asylum closed in 1917. Tours are now given. The staff have claimed that they've seen supernatural phenomena, including shadows, basically shadow people, unforgettable voices. I don't know what they mean by unforgettable voices. Spirits trying to push people downstairs and quote, other strange sightings. Now it's said that the ghost of a girl in a gray dress haunts the building staircases and that's also around the places where people seem to get pushed or attempted to get pushed down these stairs by something. Other things the staff see is uh, people, they claim to see spirits in a blue uniform that matched what residents of the asylum wore back in the day. Not only that, but take this next part with a huge grain of salt, but there are stories an ex-cop turned staff member of the museum and a person that was touring the museum saw the shadow of a young girl in the storeroom with her and despite being in there alone. So they saw this little ghost girl in the storeroom. They both turned around. They're like, whoa, what the hell? Now their conclusion was the sighting meant that this tourist woman's own death was near. And guess what? They were right because she died soon after. I don't buy that. That seems like such bullshit. How would they know that this tourist who saw a ghost died soon after that? Because they saw a little girl ghost? And why is the little girl ghost in the storeroom instantly mean, oh my God, I think I'm next. I'm going to die. Nope. I don't buy any of that. Calling bullshit on the little girl death premonition thing. Okay, up next, the Okabella Homestead. Now, this is in the Shire of Northampton. I'm sure that wasn't said right either. It was built in 1851 by James Drummond on 44,000 acres of land. There's one thing I got to say about Australia is you guys have huge tracts of land and once was known as Western Australia's most haunted building. Remember how I said that everything is the most haunted something? Well, this one was once known as Western Australia's most haunted building. Very specific. Why is it not known that way anymore? Well, it's not known that anymore because the new owners that been there for a while, but the new owners don't want it to be known as Western Australia's most haunted building. They're trying to get away from that whole, hey, our place, yeah, it's insanely creepy. No, they want it to be, hey, our place, well, look how beautiful this is. It's gorgeous. It's a hotel. It's a campground. But... According to a lot of reports, it's a hotel and a campground with a bunch of paranormal sightings. Not only that, but there have been a quite a few deaths at the Okabella homestead throughout its history, including back in 1973, when previous occupant George Jackson died while in his room cleaning his gun. Guess what? The gun went off. Boom. Now he's a ghost. Sadly, there are a number of reports of children dying through various illnesses at the home as well. So people staying here have seen doors opening and closing on their own. Strange smells of ash. I don't know what that means. I guess burning smell. Um, they see ghosts of children playing or oddly dressed adult ghosts just walking the 44,000 acres. Now, if you want to stay here, there are a number of sites with the following warnings. So when I looked this place up, all these different sites had the same warning. Apparently at the Okabella homestead, there are a number of caves with indigenous cave paintings and objects in them. Do not take anything from these caves. If you do, you are going to be cursed. Just like in Hawaii and a couple other places. Don't take that crap. 
they did they called it indigenous cave paintings here so maybe i should have said indigenous people instead of aboriginal again i apologize if that was insensitive it is not my intention okay so if you stay at okabella homestead and you want to go into some caves apparently got some neat stuff in there don't touch it don't take it next one isn't really a location it's more like a thing and it's called the min min the what what well the Min Min is an unexplained light phenomenon that is often be seen in the outback of Australia. Supposedly, these mysterious lights have been seen basically forever, with, again, stories from the Aborigines. Now, these stories predate the European settlers, and they've been seen, they've seen these lights from the very beginning. The European settlers, as soon as they got here, they started seeing them. Now, the first known European report about them is in 1838, but again, according to the Aborigines, these lights have actually increased since the Europeans came, but have always been around. Now, the Aboriginal people believe that the Min Min lights are the spirits of elders. The lights are blue, and other times they're white or yellow, and have been described by witnesses as floating, fast-moving balls of color that glow in the night sky. But here's the interesting thing. These lights are interactive. They actually stalk people, often leaving people that have seen them confused and frightened. Well, yeah, if some light's stalking me, I'm going to get freaked out by that. Now, apparently, the name Min Min derives from a small settlement of the same name located between the outback towns of Bulia and Winton, where the light was observed by a stockman in 1918. Now, in Queensland, the Boulia Shire Council notifies visitors that they're in the land of the Min Min Lights, and they may spot them as they drive for the next 120 kilometers. They're fairly frequently seen. According to folklore, the lights sometimes follow or approach people and disappear when fired upon, sometimes very rapidly, only to reappear later on. Now, the lights can come up from the ground to move around, or down from the sky onto the ground to move or follow people. Again, take this with a grain of salt, but apparently anyone who chases the lights and catches the Min Min will never return to tell the tale. I don't know how, maybe someone saw them catch a light and they just disappeared. I don't know how that happens. I don't know. All right, let's get to science. What does science think of the Min Min? Well, this and this alone, basically, there is no known cause for the lights. So they stick with the basics, mirages, natural gases, or warm air and cold air coming together. A lot of the basic BS. Could that be true? It's possible, but they haven't proven it yet. So let's keep moving along to the next one. And the next one is the Monte Cristo Homestead. Yet another place that claims to be the most haunted house in Australia. This one is a two-story Victorian manor. It was built by Christopher William Crawley in the New South Wales town of Juni outside of Wagga Wagga in 1885. I liked everything about that sentence, um, especially the Wagga Wagga. All right, let's talk about the deaths first. There was a total of seven deaths that happened here during the 1800s, including a stable boy that was burnt to death, a baby girl thrown downstairs, a maid thrown off the balcony, and a caretaker who was shot and killed. So it seems like a fun place so far. Now the ghosts of most of what I just told you about are still seen there to this day. 
Guests that stay there have seen and heard a crazy amount of ghosts, so I can see why this one does come up high on the list of most haunted and blah blah blahs in Australia. So again, if you want to stay there, Monte Cristo Homestead, totally can, but you're going to see a lot of messed up ghosts, including a burnt up stable boy, a little girl, a maid that was thrown off the balcony, a lot of creepy crap. If you don't like creepy ghosts or burnt up dead baby ghosts or dead boy ghosts, maybe don't stay at the Monte Cristo Homestead. All right, next up is the North Kapunda Hotel. Guess what? Some people say that Kapunda is the most haunted town in Australia. The hotel was opened in 1849, and back then, Kapunda, K-A-P-U-N-D-A, was a copper mining town. Now, I'm talking real Old West kind of violence and cowboy shit. You got saloons and prostitutes and violence, lots and lots of violence. Now, I can't find an exact amount, but from what I could find, many people were murdered in the hotel, and that includes a bunch of prostitutes. Now, guests here have seen numerous old-timey ghosts, and the main ones here, a ghost woman and little girl that are seen together. Supposedly, these have been identified as the ghost of a prostitute murdered in the hotel and her young daughter, Sarah, who later died of disease, but, you know grain of salt. Now, people report hearing a lot of voices, a lot of shouting, plus being shoved in the hotel quite a bit. And this next one is my favorite, because many sites say, if you're going to stay at the Kapunda Hotel, keep an eye out for the ghost of a man with one leg riding a bicycle on Chapel Street. That's the ghost of a minor who died soon after the amputation. I got a question, Australia. How is he riding a bike with only one leg? I need to see this one-legged bike riding ghost. That seems awesome. Next up is the most haunted town in Australia. But wait, Kurt, wasn't Kapunda just the most haunted town in Australia? Why, yes, you are right. But apparently this one is also the most haunted town in Australia. Seriously, you can't all be the most haunted whatever in Australia. All right, so this town is called Picton, South Wales. It's located about 80 kilometers southwest of Sydney. Picton was found in 1821. It's the home of the infamous Red Bank Range Rail... Whoa, Red Bank Range Railway Tunnel. It's also known for its countryside views and paranormal gardens. What? I have no idea. A lot of websites quoted that, so I had to throw that in here. Now, it does have historical significance, though, because of those, rail, those railway tunnels. The Picton Mushroom Tunnel, formerly Red Bank Range Railway Tunnel, opened in 1967 as the first tunnel, nope, 1867, opened in 1867 as the first railway tunnel to be used by NSW Railways. In 1916, Emily Bollard was walking through the tunnel when she was struck and killed by a passing train. Now, since then... Emily has quote-unquote appeared to many people deep within the tunnel. So this ghost of Emily is still seen right where she died. The railway tunnel was disused in 1919 when a new line was built going around the hill. Now during World War II, the military used that very same tunnel for storage purposes. And after 1950, it was used to grow mushrooms. That's why it's called the Mushroom Tunnel. Now, that little girl, Emily, is not the only ghost that's seen around here, though, because many different women's voices are often heard as well. They're heard crying, shrieking, yelling, 
Just a whole lot of messed up stuff in this tunnel. Now, they also have temperature changes, shadow people, orbs, eh, dragging sounds. Basically, think of a paranormal activity, and it's coming from deep within these tunnels. But it's not just the tunnels that make Picton the most haunted town, whatever. It's also the old maternity hospital that supposedly hides the shadowy figure of a cranky old matron and the ghostly sounds of crying babies. The Imperial Hotel plays music even when the jukeboxes are unplugged. Plus, footsteps and ghostly touching there. And lastly, the Stone Quarry Creek there. Many people have reportedly, now many people have reportedly drowned, but it's said to be haunted. People hear the sounds of splashing and swimming in the water or people struggling in the water when no one is swimming. So again, Picton sounds like a pretty funky place to go to. It seems like the uh, the place to be if you want to see some crazy ghosts. Is it the most haunted place ever? I don't think so. Or the most haunted place in, in Australia? I don't think so, but apparently a lot of people do. All right, finally, I'm going to do these next two together. They are the Ararat Lieutenant. Oh, Lieutenant. Come on, Kurt. I'm going to do these next two together. First up, the Ararat Lunatic Asylum and the Beechwood Lunatic Asylum. Real quick, the Ararat Lunatic Asylum, or Eridale, is the largest abandoned lunatic asylum in Australia. That's something to be proud of, I guess. It opened back in 1867. Estimated 13,000 people died here during the 140 years it was open and operating. Everything is heard here. All the basics. Voices, screaming, thumps, odd noises, shadow, shadow people, cold spots, people pushing, blah, blah, blah. The usual. Let's move over to the Beechwood Lunatic Asylum in Beechwood, Victoria. It is supposedly the most haunted asylum in Australia. Eh. Now, again, several ghosts here as well. It was open from 1867 to 1995. All the basics. Voices, screaming, thumps, odd noises, shadows, shadow people, cold spots, thumping, pushing, blah, blah, blah. Everything you can think of. Footsteps. Everything you can think of is seen and heard at the Beechwood Lunatic Asylum. Again, this doesn't even come close to a full list of haunted Australian locations. Far from it. There are a ton more that I'm sure I'm going to get to on future episodes, hint, hint. But like I said earlier, Australia is high up on my list of places I would love to go to one day. I would love to go there and do a Paranormal Almanac live show because apparently I've got a fairly big following in Australia. Every time the numbers come in, Australia is getting more and more, and I thank you guys for it. That blows me away. I love the fact that people in Australia are listening to this podcast right now. You guys are awesome. Thank you so, so much. There is one spot in Australia that is completely devoid of podcast listeners. I'm going to pull up the map real quick of my little stats here. Uh, yes, Australia, yes. Okay, so there's this thing in the very middle of Australia, the middle upper part of Australia, and it is completely void of Australian followers or listeners of Paranormal Almanac. New South Wales, I got listeners. Queensland, I got listeners. Victoria, yep. South Australia, yep. Western Australia, yep. 
what in the hell is going on in this middle top section of Australia that nobody is listening to me? What am I doing there? Who did I piss off in that part of Australia? Does anybody live in that part of Australia? I don't even know, man. Like, it's the Northern Territory. So the Northern Territory of Australia apparently have zero listeners. Does anybody live in the Northern Territory? I'm going to click on the satellite part of the map. Ooh, it looks pretty barren. Oh, there's a national park at the top, though, and Tiwi Islands. They sound cool. Hey, Tiwi Islands, how about you give me a listen or two? So, yeah, I I'm sorry. I'm, I'm just, I'm now I'm fixated on who's not listening to me in Australia. As I said, I've got a lot of listeners in Australia. Thank you guys so, so much. I really can't thank you enough. I hope you guys like this episode. I really hope I didn't butcher it or kill it or say something that is obvious bullshit and you guys are like i can't believe that he brought up the Ararat lunatic asylum that's not even a real place we just put that on list to see if people pay attention and figure out if shit's real i hope that i didn't do that to you guys i hope i did it worthy again i've got a ton more places everything is the most haunted in australia and it seems like it seems like it's cool you know filled with cool people paranormal things everything there is the most haunted ever and if you're in the rest of the world and you're really pissed that I'm talking so much about Australia in this episode, it's called the Haunted Australia episode. So, you know, you kind of knew what you're getting into. But besides that, don't worry, rest of the world. I want to do more international paranormal stories in the future for one very selfish reason. These are stories I have not heard. I've heard a lot of the stories, a ton of the American stories in Canada and Mexico and whatnot. I, these are new to me. I really like hearing completely new stories, finding out about people that are apparently infamous, like Ned Kelly. I never heard about that dude. He sounded crazy as crap. Or a bunyip, or bunny yip, or whatever the hell it's called. I don't know how to pronounce it, but it sounds cool as hell. But um, now I got to look up. How do you pronounce a bunny yip? Well, it doesn't even say. Anyhow, thank you guys so much. I hope you like this episode. The rest of the world, I've got more international paranormal episodes coming international listeners please send me your paranormal stories like i said i selfishly love hearing these new stories that i had never heard before i think it's fantastic once again i am your host kurt sandvig and this has been another international edition of paranormal almanac Swag as a sip, swag on sat.